Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, hi everyone. Thank you again for having me. I'm uh, I'm Bobby, and uh, don't feel bad about playing uh, drums without shoes. You know, I've actually preached more sermons barefoot than I have with shoes on. That is the truth. Uh, when I was uh, starting in ministry uh, t- about ten years ago, um, we we started a church uh, called Tree of Life. And uh, we live in Southern California in Orange County, just outside of L.A., and it's a surf area. You know, it's probably a bit like Sydney, not quite as urban. And so I used to preach in shorts, barefoot, and a T-shirt. In fact, when I started at the cathedral, I was doing two services, and I'd get up in the morning, and I would put a suit on, a little, little, I'm embarrassed to say this, I also wear makeup in the service. It's TV makeup so that the light doesn't make my face look greasy, and, uh, I didn't know I had to do that. It was in place when I got there. And, uh, and Beethoven would play, and the cathedral doors would open, and I would walk in, and everybody would stand, and it was this, like, really, you know, pom- not pompous. What's the word? Formal uh, experience. And, and then I would have 30 minutes to change out of a suit into shorts and a shirt, no shoes required, and uh, make my way to the other church where uh, we would have, you know, uh, drunk people sitting in the front row. You guys aren't drunk, are you? And we would have, you know, uh, <laughs> all sorts of folks from from uh, all over the town. So we were a church that, and that was my experience. So one of the neat things about that second church, the one I started, is we had communion every single Sunday, and we did for years. And to me, this is the first church other than ours that's not Catholic that I've seen that practices the gift of Eucharist every Sunday. And I just want to just, I just want to uh, tell you how blessed I am to be here, that God is at work in this church, and that God is going to continue to transform Sydney through this ministry, and, uh, and he's going to use you to do it. So, so glad you're here. Way to go to come to church, by the way. You know, you, there's a million things you could have done, but you came to church. You dedicated the first day of the week to God. And that's what Sunday is, by the way. You know that, right? Sunday's the first day of the week, not the last. And when you begin your week with worship, you're saying that your whole life, your work, everything you do is going to flow from a posture and a heart of rest and worship. And so you, you made the right decision today. You began by gathering with God's people in the house of the Lord to worship him, and God will honor that. And I just want to say um, that if you put God first, in your things go better when God is first in your life. And things go better when God is first in your week. So you made the right decision to be here. So come back next week and come back the week after that. Commit to a church. Commit to something, but especially commit to a church. Okay, we, there's this creed I like to say, and uh, we don't have it. So what I, and I feel weird starting a sermon without it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it more as a prayer. And we, every week we align ourselves with this, but I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to know this is from the Lord. And I want you to hold your hands open like this, like open palm, open up like this. Martin Luther said the posture of the body is the most important thing we do when we pray. He also thought kneeling was the worst thing to do when you pray. He said you should stand when you pray. So anyway, <laughs> open your palms like this, open your heart, close your eyes, and I'm going to speak this over you, and I want you to receive it because it's from the word of God and it's orthodox. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. You're not what people say about you. You are the beloved child of God. No one can take it from you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to hurry. 
you can trust your friend Jesus and share his love with the world. If you believe it, say amen. And if you really believe it, say amen loud. Amen. Amen. I'm a secretly Pentecostal. People don't know that. I don't talk about it. But I went to Oral Roberts University. And so I'm a Pentecostal that became Dutch Reformed. I got all sorts of weird stuff going on. So, uh, so, uh, well, okay. Well, let's begin. Today I want to talk about uh, your choice. You have, you live in a world that is both good and evil. You live in a world that is both dark and light. And you live in a world with spiritual eyes. And with your eyes, you have the ability to see or focus on what is either light or dark. You have the ability to focus on what is either good or evil. You have the ability to focus on what is either depressing, sad, disappointing, or what is wondrous and amazing. And very simply, I want to say the greatest gift that God gives us is to take the scales off of our eyes that allow us to see how wonderful this world is. Did you know God loves this world? He does. He loves it. He made this world. He loves the things in this world. He loves the mountains. He loves the ocean. He loves Sydney. He loves you. He loves your house. He loves this world. And he's not going to destroy this world when, it, when all is said and done. That's such a misunderstanding of the end of the world. He's going to come and save this world. Christ is coming back here. And, and so this is a wondrous place. And God loves this place. And I'm asking that you could see the world the way God sees the world. It is a gift to humanity. It is, this world is a gift to you. Um, I was once on a fishing trip. We had this old fishing boat, and I, we grew up fishing all the time. And, and we used to take, um, I don't know how well you know American geography. I live in the city of Los Angeles, which is, uh, well, I actually live in Orange County just outside. And uh, we're about two miles north Mexico. Every year we take this boat and we take it from LA and we take it down to Cabo San Lucas, which is on the very tip of Baja. It's downhill, so it's a little faster, which is good. But once you get there, it it still takes about a week to get there, going day and night. And uh, whenever you do a trip like this, you have to hire a marine engineer. You probably have those here. That's somebody who basically can fix a boat if something goes wrong so you don't sink and die. And so we hired a marine engineer. And the great thing about having an engineer on your boat is he's the guy that gets to drive the night watch. You know, he gets to drive from 1 in the morning to like 5 or 6 in the morning, right? So I'm sleeping on our first night out. We're several hours out. We left early in the morning, um, sort of the day before. And now we've been going almost 24 hours. And uh, we're in the middle of Mexico, you know, you know, not a city, not a town, nobody nearby anywhere. We're in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And I'm sleeping in what's called the aft cabin. And my dad wakes me up. He says, Bobby, wake up. And I was like, what? It had to be, it was like two or three in the morning. He said, our engineer is seasick. (laughs) And it seriously took me about 30 seconds to even comprehend what he was saying. He said, our engineer is seasick. I said, seasick he goes yeah i said we'll just tell him to keep going and he's like he's passed out in the back of the boat after throwing up i need you to drive the boat so i got up to steer the ship and uh i was so angry and disappointed and i went to what's called the fly bridge which is the little tower that you look down from 
And I got up there, and my dad went to bed, and it's 3 in the morning, and I'm angry that my dad hired a seasick engineer. And uh, I look around, and uh, the way the boat works is it, it's automa- automated, you know? So you can you, you actually steer a ship not with a big thing. We have one of those, but like a little dial. And so I set it, and I went down to the bow of the boat, which is the front, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and let me just tell you what it looked like. It was a night... And the stars were so bright, it was like you were in outer space. There wasn't a city for at least 200 miles. So there was no light shining into the sky to keep us from seeing the heavens. And there you could see the Milky Way and all the stars and probably a couple planets. And you could see shooting stars constantly through the sky. And it was one of the first times I'd ever seen that kind of brightness with the stars while also a full moon. And I didn't even know that could happen. (laughs) There's a full moon. And it's shining um, on the land. And to the left, which would be the east, Mexico, the Baja is all sand dunes, you know? So it's just waves of like Sahara sand dunes and some cactuses here and there. But because of the moon, the, the sand turned silver. So it was all kind of silver light. You know how your eyes adjust? Something that would normally be dark becomes bright and vibrant. That's what happened to my eyes. And so the stars and the moon and the, and this, uh, the sand glowing silver. And then the coolest thing. Every once in a while, if you're lucky enough and you're out in the ocean, there's this stuff called effervescent plankton. You know what that is? It glows green, sometimes blue in some countries. But it's this, this plankton. It's like little tiny shrimp almost, that microscopic shrimp that, that, or prawns. You call them prawns, don't you? Put another prawn on the Barbie. <laughs> See? Anyway, uh, <laughs> and they're glowing green in the ocean. And because we're far from any city, the ocean is crystal clear. And so as you look down, you look up, you see stars. You look down, you see stars. So you look down and just see green dots glowing down as far as you can see. And the neatest thing about effervescent plankton is that friction makes it glow more. So on the front of the boat, as the waves are going like this, they're like bright green pixie dust. And on the back of the boat is another green like wake, and bright green. So it literally looks like a boat flying through outer space. It's amazing. And I, I... I looked down into the water, and I I feel like nobody can believe this, you know, because you have to be there. I looked down, and it looked like two torpedoes were coming at the boat. And I was like, and it actually made me fall back. I went, whoa! And I looked, and it was dolphins. Dolphins had come to the boat, and they were around, and so they started swimming in the front of the boat, as they do. And I just looked around, and I was alive in my faith at the time. I'd become a Christian And I was just so thankful to God, just so grateful that I I had the chance to live in such an awesome, beautiful world that he created. And you know, it's amazing. If if no one was there, that still would have been happening. And no one would have seen it. And it doesn't matter to God that no one would have seen it because it's just radically beautiful. Like so over the top, in your face, blow your mind, beautiful. And, um, and I was so thankful. And what I, what, the reason I begin with that is because that invokes, in some ways, the way God wants you to experience the world, well, all the time. 
and that that is actually available to you. Jesus called this the Father's world or the kingdom of God. He believes that if you trust in him, this world right now that you live in can be so vibrant, so full of life, that most of the time, unless you're grieving or going through some kind of hard time, you can have that kind of euphoria. And even when you do grieve, you have this thing called joy, that even though you grieve over a loss, you have a hope and a confidence uh, in God's goodness. And I just want to argue that you have a choice. You have a choice in what you see in our world, whether you see what is beautiful or ugly, because it's both there. To see what is good or evil, because they're both there. To see God or the devil or nothing, because all of those are there. It's all laid before you. And the Lord, in his infinite love for you, and yes, it is infinite, is inviting you to live in this world. That even if you're grieving, even if you're hurting, even if you feel you've lost your dignity or lost your way, you feel as though you have no purpose or calling, just relax. And see this world that, the God, that God has laid before you. You have a choice to see. I once saw two painters that were painting the city of Los Angeles. And one painting, the painting was ugly. It was a painting of all the graffiti and the smog. You couldn't see the ocean. There were no trees, concrete everywhere, and homeless people, <laughs> and gangs. I don't know. And the next painting was a painting of trees and people on bikes and the sun was out and you could see the ocean and they both were painting the same thing just seeing different things in the landscape what picture do you paint when you see the world Ooh. <laughs> in the book of job verse 12 it says but ask the animals and they will teach you or speak to the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of every man. This is a powerful word. You know, we can live every day in awe. Every day we can live with joy in the world that God has given us. There's a poem from Jim Brown. And uh, in it, there's this thing that was taken out that was, for whatever reason, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, attributed to the Dalai Lama. But it's actually Jim Brown, who's a Christian, works with World Vision. And in this poem, Interview, by, Interview with God, he asked God, what surprises you most about humanity? And this was God's answer. Man surprised me most about humanity because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices his money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives if he's, as though he is going, he lives as if he is never going to die and then dies having never really lived. Um, 
Not me and not you, right? That's not for you. You're special. That's not your life. And I, in fact, I just declare that over you, that that's not going to be your life. Today, you are going to choose to live a good life because you can. You have all the power right now within you given to you by God to live by faith and to not live that kind of life. If you believe it, say amen. That is available to you today. And all you have to do is choose. But not once. You have to choose constantly. And that's what makes it taxing. (laughs) You have to choose until it becomes a habit, until you stop choosing and it just becomes what you do. Amen? Um, One of the things you can do to live in this kind of a life is to pay attention to the little wonders. C.S. Lewis once was trapped in a tool shed and he wrote this funny essay called Meditations on a Tool Shed. And uh, he couldn't get out, you know? And (laughs) all he saw was this beam of light coming through the shed. And he looked at this beam of light for quite a long time with dust floating through it and it was, you know, it wasn't really lighting much of the shed. It was just a beam. And then he kind of went up to the hole where the light was coming through and as he looked out, he saw a whole garden And he said, there's kind of two types of people in the world. There are those who look along the light, and then there are those who look at the light. He was saying, you know, many people, they look in the world, and all they see is darkness and this one little beam coming, and they think that beam is it. But there are other people in this world who don't look along the light. They look at the light. They put their, that all the beautiful stuff you see, all the good stuff you see, is really coming from something much bigger than what you even see. It's coming from heaven. And, uh, and that's true about where we live. And if you see beyond just the beautiful things that we see in the world, the fish in the sea and all that good stuff, uh, you begin to grow in your faith and in your t- trust of God, and you grow in the knowledge of heaven as your home. Uh, I remember uh, that Immanuel Kant, who's known as probably the most important modern philosopher that formed the way all of your professors, if you went to college, formed their ethics. And Immanuel Kant formed the best arguments against God. There was these so-called proofs of God, and he made the, he's, you know, everybody argues against him, but he made the five best proofs that there is no God, you know? And Immanuel Kant eventually admitted that he did believe there was a God. That uh, with all of his, you know, sm- one of the smartest men who ever lived, with all of his philosophizing, he realized there is a God. And in the end, he said, I can't deny there's a God, something like that, because of, quote, the starry skies above, and the moral law within. The smartest man who ever lived, Isaac Newton, wrote a systematic theology. <laughs> In fact, his theology was more important than, to, than his stuff on physics. Trey Parker, the maker of the film, the, film, the show South Park, is uh, fa- kind of a famous atheist, and he changed his mind. And, and after he had kids, he said, you know, when I had kids, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and was like, there's got to be something. And he still hates religion, you know, but he said out of all of the ridiculous religion stories, which are greatly, wonderfully ridiculous, the silliest one I've ever heard is, yeah, there's this big, giant universe, and it's expanding, and it's all going to collapse on itself, and we're all just here just because. To me, that is the most ridiculous explanation ever. So even the makers of South Park are questioning their atheism. And I I just want to say that, that as you begin... You know, a lot of times for Christians, we wrestle with doubt, and that's totally normal, by the way. That's 
fine to wrestle. Everybody has doubt. If you're not doubting, you're not thinking. And so it's okay, you know. But, but to reinforce the faith in your heart and in your life, uh, the, one of the best ways to do that is to change the way you see the little things in life, to start seeing some of the more beautiful things in life. Well, I'm dragging my feet here. I'm only halfway through my sermon, but I'm going to try and do this quickly. I think there are four movements that you can make today that will help you walk in that kind of love. The first movement is this. Move, make a movement from being scattered to being present. Be present. Be where you are. I know that sounds ridiculous, but in our day, it's not, is it? Many of you are sitting here, but you're somewhere else. Uh, many of you are in class, or you're with your family, or you're at home, or you're at work, but while you're there, you're actually somewhere else. Be present. Be where you are. Don't use your phone as much. If your wife gets up to go to the bathroom, don't pick up your phone. Just sit there. Be present. That's crazy. You're killing your mind and your soul by filling every bit of spare space with more phone. Okay? Be present. Be where you are. And you're actually so trained to do that. You're compulsive. You grab your phone, and you don't know why you grab your phone. You just, it's like, I'm alone, phone. <laughs> right? Don't do that anymore. Look at your phone sometimes, but not all the time. Okay? Jesus was present everywhere he went. And Jesus was very interruptible because he was always with who he was with. He was always where he was. He was where he was. He would be on his way somewhere, and somebody would cry out, Jesus! And he would stop, annoying his disciples, talk to this guy or this gal, minister to them, love them, heal them, teach them. And when that moment was over, he would carry on. You see? He was always where he was. And so his disciples, you and me, we need to be where we are. I remember I, have this, I play video games. And uh, I'm, not, I'm a little ashamed of that. That's why I say it briefly. And, uh, I, and I was playing a game, and, and my son, Cohen, who's four, says, Dada, 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 Dada. And finally crawls on my lap and nose to nose goes, Dada. <laughs> children do that because children haven't learned yet that you don't feel like talking to them or being with them, that video games are more important than them. But adults feel that way. You know, I say it tongue in cheek, but in truth, if you want to be with your children more than you want to watch TV, you'll stop watching TV and you'll be with your children. You do what you want to do. You see, so adults won't your wife, for example, or your husband or your best friend or your colleagues at work are not going to crawl on your lap and go nose to nose. Well, maybe they will. Maybe your wife will. And if she does, God bless you. It's a good day. But. But, uh, you know, most of the time when people want your attention and they ask you once or twice and you're not really there, you're going to hurt them by not being present. Be present with who you're with. Stop flying through life. Stop hurrying. Take it slow. Number two, I'm going to go quicker. Move from being cluttered to being simple. In our culture, more is not enough. And so we just keep doing more and adding more, and buying more, and filling our lives with more, we keep saying yes when we don't have a yes to give. Stop cluttering your life.
Be simple. Become a minimalist. Be happy with less. Stop buying so much stuff and start giving more. Number three, move from procrastinating to being decisive. The, one of the greatest killers of joy is impatience. And uh, the other great killer of joy is uh, dread. And so I think what happens very often is that we know we're supposed to do something. We have a dream, a calling, a moral imperative, and we wait because we're afraid. We have to have a conflict or a really uncomfortable conversation with somebody, and we wait because we're dreading it. Stop procrastinating. You know the differences between procrastinating and patience? When you're patient, you want to do the thing. When you're procrastinating, you don't. Stop procrastinating and make a decision. When Joshua was entering the promised land, he said, okay, this is Bobby version, okay? He said, okay, we're going into the promised land, and some of you have been worshiping Yahweh, and you've been worshiping idols. No more. After we cross this river, you need to make a decision. The scriptures say, choose you this day who you are going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make a decision. Make a decision to become a Christian. Make a decision to commit to this church. Make a decision to do the things you're called to do, to go back to school or to quit your job or to get a job or to confront someone or to fulfill a dream or whatever it is. Make a decision. And number four, the last movement. Move from needing clarity to acting in faith. God doesn't give people clarity. Can I just cue you into that? That's not faith. God doesn't like giving people clarity. That's why blind people always have the best relationships with God. Because they understand what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. I remember once there was a man who went to Mother Teresa and she said, how can I pray for you? And he said, she said, he said, pray for clarity in my life. I want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I need clarity. She said, no, God never gives clarity. I'm going to pray that you would have trust. Trust the Lord. Be bold. You will never, ever be absolutely certain. If you're absolutely certain about anything, you're probably wrong about something. <laughs> the worst thing about absolutely certain is that you're, you, you lose flexibility um, and you lose the ability to allow others to speak into your life. And that's why sometimes you just have to leap in the fog. Sometimes when you know God is telling you something, that you're supposed to do something, sometimes you just have to act in faith. Sometimes you just have to be bold. Sometimes you have to just do it because you know in your heart it's the right thing to do, even though you're scared. You have before you the most amazing, amazing life available to you right now, right where you are, right where you are, right where we, what you're doing. And all that's required of you is to choose. Choose to see the good in the world. Be present. Be simple. Make a decision and live by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you want the best for us. Lord, you are not disappointed with us or punishing us. I pray, Father, that you break every chain here. Lord, people... People believe that they're sick because they did something wrong. Break that, that, that deception from the enemy. Many think, Lord, that 
Others' lives matter more than theirs, if it makes sense. Lord, you care about everyone. And every life has infinite value and uh, cannot be compared to another. So, Lord, would you build in us the joy and the hope and the peace that, that encourages love? Would you build within us faith and trust, help us to relax, to stop hurrying and worrying all the time? Lord, thank you that today we can audaciously smile at the world. We can just say, Lord, this is your world. You love it. You love our life, and we trust you. We thank you for heaven. We thank you that in the end you'll set things right, and that in this time we can trust you and live every day in joy by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.